I'm so glad that you decided to, to join us this morning and uh, to be a part of Outward Church. Uh, I know that some of you are, are new, you're here for the first time, um, you're just checking out church or uh, whatever it is. I, I just want to say thank you for, uh, for trying us out. Thank you for taking a chance. You made a great choice this morning. I hope you uh, go uh, away uh, thinking that uh, this morning and I hope you'll come back. Uh, my name's Matt. I'm the uh, lead pastor here. I am uh, pastor of, of teaching and vision, basically. That's, that's my role. And so uh, I get to stand up here quite a few times throughout the year and, and talk about uh, heavy things and, and to talk about the Word of God. And uh, our hope is that what you're hearing is not from me, Matt Porter, but uh, that you're hearing from the Word of God. And to the degree that what I'm saying agrees with the scriptures, we, we are hoping that you hear this and that you understand that, that God truly is the living God, that we see him uh, first and foremost through Jesus Christ and that we're able to receive him as a result. We're hoping that you are able to come to that conclusion. You know, we're, we're outward church and so what we like to say around here is that we want to love Jesus and as a result, because of what Jesus has done for us, because he died uh, for us because he didn't have to do that, but he did that, and he sacrificed himself, then as a result, we want to sacrifice ourselves, and that means our, our comfort, our desires, uh, the things that we really want, and, and as a result, we want to live outward. So we want to love Jesus, and we want to live outward, and one of the ways that we do that in our city is by serving at Richmond Elementary, and Richmond Elementary is just uh, over here uh, near uh, Mission and 25th, and and Richmond has a lot of needs, and one of the needs that they have is that they have um, children that don't eat much over the weekend, and it's for a number of different reasons. It's abuse, or they sometimes just don't have that food, or sometimes there just isn't uh, uh, nutritious, nutritious things in the home. And so as a result, we've come together as a church, and we want to feed around 150 students. And we are currently doing that, I believe, if, that, if I have the number correctly. It might be about 140, actually. It's somewhere in there. And so we come together, and we bring food, and then we bag it, and then we take it over to Richmond Elementary. We give it to the school, and the school passes it out to the kids that they see uh, as the highest need. And so that's one of the things that we do. And so one of the, one of the ways that you can help with this is by either giving donations through our website um, or through uh, by, just by bringing food with you. And so there should be a list out there. Uh, there's a table just through this hallway right here out into the lobby um, on the left-hand side, or you can just go out to Connect Central and find out more about that, about the kinds of food that we need. Um, but we're looking for nutritious things without peanuts uh, so that we don't uh, have allergy issues. Uh, but nutritious things, low sugar, high on um, good things, whatever those are. So in any case, um, this morning we're starting a new series, and the series is on Proverbs. And so you can open up your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1. But Proverbs is this book that is talking about wisdom. And so it, it's, a, it's a heavy subject, um, and, and in, in so many ways I am unqualified um, to really be spouting off wisdom. My only comfort is this, is that we're reading from the scriptures, and so it's not me, uh, Matt Porter, all 39 years of age here that is bringing you wisdom, but I, I, I'm hopefully going to show you all the ways that perhaps I have not heeded wisdom and how I have um, caused problems in my own life by not listening to people at times 
and by not heeding their advice. But one of the reasons why we need wisdom, and the biggest reason why we need wisdom is because we have decisions to make, decisions when life hits the fan. We have decisions to make all the time, and all of us have experiences in life where we've perhaps made wrong decisions, or we look back on our life and say, I wish I would have done that differently. In my own life, I, I, I think about uh, as I was growing up, I, I made choices in the midst of life's circumstances that affect me even to this day. When I was around 14 years of age, I started, uh, you know, uh, I, I just wanted, I didn't want to be at school. That's basically what I wanted. I didn't want to be at school and I wanted to smoke weed and go out and drink or whatever. And so I would skip school all the time. And so I skipped school for most of my, I think it was my uh, sophomore year in high school. And so about uh, a little ways into uh, my sophomore year, my, uh, my uh, principal came to my, my dad and me and we were in a meeting and he said, you know, this guy isn't going to graduate, so you need to figure out something. I mean, he's, he's not going to make it here. And so basically, I, I at that point had to make a decision. Am I going to go to school or am I going to go work? And so I decided, you know what? I like work and I like money that enabled me to buy some more stuff that I could use. And so I, uh, I decided that I would go work. And so I went to work and I, and I partied and I went to work and I partied and I went to work and I partied. And that was a big decision in my life, but kind of got to this point where it was like, this is kind of getting old after a little while. And then somebody came to me and said, hey, uh, maybe you should move to Texas and, and, go, uh, and go back to school. And so I made a decision to go to Texas. I don't know why I made that decision, but I made a decision to go to Texas. And that drastically changed my life. And so I went to Texas and I went back to school and I got really great grades. And then I made a decision that I wanted to be back with my family. And so I made that decision and I moved back home with my family to be with my friends and then got into more trouble um, as I made more decisions and more decisions and more decisions. And then there was a relationship that went on for many years and then she got married and then she came back to me and said she wanted to be with me. And I made a decision that I didn't want to be with somebody who was married. And then I made other decisions which were along the lines of just absolute foolishness. Made other decisions throughout, throughout my life about how I was going to work and how I was going to spend money and how I was going to pay my bills and how I was going to deal with relationships. And it was decisions and decisions and decisions and decisions until I made one of the best decisions of my life. In fact, I should say the best decision outside of Jesus Christ, and that was to marry my wife. And that was a fantastic decision. But then we've made decisions together. And if you're married, you know. I mean, there's just lots of decisions to make. And doesn't it, it you, you would think it might get a little bit easier because you have someone else that doesn't think like you to bounce ideas off. No, it gets harder. You have to make more decisions and more decisions and more decisions as to where to send the, the kids to school and where you're going to spend money and how you're going to spend it and whether you're going to, whether you're going to go here in life or whether you're going to take this job or what have you. But really, Proverbs is all about, it really is about choices. And those choices cause us to make decisions. Those, we, we have to make a choice between this or that. And how do we know what the right choice is? How do we know what the right choice is? You know, all of us have a family of origin, and so much of what influences our decision-making is how, how, was our, how did our family bring us up? Was it a good family or was it a bad family? Did you have a, 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 a good experience in that? And sometimes uh, that can lead you to make bad decisions because you got a good family, now you're going to do the opposite of what they did. And sometimes 
uh, you have a, a bad family, and then you, you perpetuate bad decisions that the family made. If you grew up in, in poverty, oftentimes what happens is this, is that you make decisions that leave you in poverty. They leave you in poverty because you spend money unwisely, because your parents spent money unwisely. And so we have all of these decisions, and they're influenced by our family, but then they're also influenced by, uh, by what other people think. And so we look at Facebook, and we look at um, we, what is this person doing, and we listen to coworkers, and we listen to uh, friends, and we listen to other family members, or what have you. And so we're making decisions based on what all of these people have to say, and then there's just this common wisdom. And we talked about this a little bit last week on Easter Sunday. Like, how can you tell the difference between fortune cookie wisdom, which is uh, bogus wisdom, or it's too general to really apply to you or to, or to uh, apply to your life? And how do you tell the difference between fortune cookie wisdom and real wisdom? Like, how do you know what the difference is between this? And we, we talked about this, and that is that your decisions matter. Each decision that you make is incrementally steering your life in a direction, whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not. And you can think uh, all day long that the world is your oyster and you can do whatever you want with it, but your decisions that you're making today are steering your life one direction or another. And yet every single one of us knows that there's things in our life that we would have gone back and done differently. We have wisdom that we uh, often say to one another when we say, well, hindsight's twenty twenty, And isn't that the problem with hindsight, though, is that that was then. <laughs> like, I, I, it's really not helpful that you brought that up, you know, because that, that would have been really nice to know then. But we can look back on our life and we can say, there's some decisions that I really wish I wouldn't have made. And if you were to look through your life and you were to look at either an addiction that you have in your life or have gone through, a failed marriage, failed relationships, a job you got fired from, bad financial decisions, bad business ventures, whatever it is, you could look back on your life and you could say, I wish that I would have made different decisions. I wish that I would have made different decisions. But the question is, like, what decision would you have made? What decision would you have made? And how do you know whether that's the right one? Well, I want to assert something to you today. We talked again about this uh, last week as well. In Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul is talking to some really smart guys. And these really smart guys are really religious, and they have this altar. Uh, they have altars to many different gods, but they have this, especially this one uh, altar that is to an unknown god. And Paul says to them, he says, you know, I am going to proclaim to you that god, the god that you don't know. I'm going to proclaim to you. He's the one who made everything, and he's the one who created all things, and he determines man's steps. And he does this in such a way so that man will, will, will find him and, and perhaps reach out for him and try to track him down, in essence. And I just want to tell you that the decisions in your life and the difficulty, and when life hits the fan, God is trying to say something to you with a megaphone because it's literally the only way that you and I will listen. I, 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 I'll, just, I'll just talk about myself. I'm just that dumb. I'm just that dumb. I just, I cannot listen to wisdom until it's hitting me in the face and I go, oh, that's why you don't want to drop out of school. 
Or, oh, that's why you don't want to get into that type of relationship. Or, oh, that's what, that's, this world was created by this God, by this God. Jesus Christ is the visual manifestation of who God is. He shows us who God is. He is the Son of God, but he is God in the flesh. And he shows us who he is. And he, and he allows us to see uh, what the world should be like. He's the visual manifestation of God's wisdom. And, and so Jesus lives perfectly according to Proverbs. He lives perfectly in that way. But what I'm trying to communicate to you is this, is that this God, the one that sent Jesus, this God is a little bit like us in some ways. You think about somebody who creates video games. They, they, they're, if they're going to create a video game, they're going to create this world. What's it going to be about? Is it going to be about cars and like shooting people or whatever, which I, I've never quite understood, never really got into video games, but they're creating these worlds or they're creating a format for other people to be able to create worlds. And so what we do as God's creation is that we're imaging God in a way, and that is that we're creating, we're creating worlds, we're creating things. Not all of us are video gamers or people who create video games, but in a way, you're creating a world in, in your family system. You're creating a world with the friends that you have, by the people that you choose, and the way that that, that family system or your group of friends operates is according to the world that you've kind of created, and that images God, our creator. It images him, although it's not supernatural. But God, in his goodness and in his greatness, has created this world, and he has determined the allotted times for every man and the way that they would go. He's determined their steps. He's determined what would take place, and he has created the laws and the rules that govern the way that we function and the way that we act. Now, you may not believe that, and that's okay. You're totally welcome here because here's what I believe about this. Because this is God's world and because it's his wisdom, you can still learn from the wisdom of God before you even believe in him. In fact, you already believe some things that God has laid down. And so what we're going to see here is that the book of Proverbs is really a format for how God deems how this world, how our life should operate how this world should, should operate and how it should function. But here's the thing, is that many different people have looked at uh, Proverbs as a list, of, uh, a list of promises. They look at Proverbs and they say, if I, if I work hard, then good things will happen to me. If, if this takes place, then that will take place, and then I'll get these things. But here's the thing, is that this is a list of probabilities, it's a list of generally how the world operates. It's not an exact format for exactly how it will work. And the reason for this is this, that God has created this world, humanity screwed it up in its sin, and as a result, bad things happen to good people. So when, we, when we're looking at Proverbs, what we can't say is we can't say, okay, if I do these things, then life is going to get better for sure. But what we can say is that God created this world, and this is the way that it is supposed to happen. If I work hard and I create a business and I, do, and I live righteously, 
and I'm not screwing over people, and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm living right, then as a result, what's going to happen is that things should flourish, but it doesn't account for the fact that the stock market could crash, and it doesn't account for the business partner who leaves you and takes everything, and it doesn't account for those things, for those fallen elements. But what it does account for is this, is that this is the way that God designed the world, and when you understand this, you're going to understand how to live rightly, how to make good choices in the midst of all of these things. And so what we're here to do this morning is to talk about this. Let me uh, just read the first uh, nine verses here, and then I'll tell you a little bit more about it. It says, uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1, says this. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Let me stop right there. So this is Solomon. He's uh, the, the king. He's the king of Israel. He is also the son of David, the king. Very obvious. Verse 2, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to notice differences, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple. Knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are graceful garland for your head. Now what this just set out here is uh, a couple of different things. Is that verse 1 serves as uh, a title um, that, that, is, that is really covering chapters 1 through 9. But then verses 2 through 6 talk about the purpose, the object, or, or the aim of the book. And then finally, verse 7 is its motto. And then verses 8 and 9 is essentially saying this, is that Solomon is going to speak to us as though we are his son. Solomon is going to speak to us as though we are his son. Now, one of the things that you might have a problem with is this, is that he's always speaking to his son. And when it gets into matters of fidelity or sexuality. He's going to talk to his son and he's going to say, don't go near this seductive, wiz- uh, this seductive woman. And so what you could think through this is that like, man, the Bible is very chauvinistic, really acting like women are the problem here. But the reality is, is that Solomon the king is speaking to his son. He's talking to his son and he's communicating to him truth. Now, who is this son? His son is probably Rehoboam. And Rehoboam is the son of Solomon. Now here's the thing with Solomon. Solomon is this king. He's the son of David. And if you were to look at 1 Kings 3, what you'd see is this, is that God comes to Solomon and he says this. He says, uh, ask what you want from me. And Solomon essentially says, I'm a child I don't know what to do. I don't know how to act. I don't know how to operate. Tell me how I should do that. Uh, And so God says, because you didn't ask for all of these other things, I'm not only going to give you wisdom, but I'm also going to give you riches and everything else. And so Solomon ends up being the wisest man in the world. And people come from all over to learn from him and to understand him. 
And so as a result, what takes place is that here he is. He's this very, very wise man. And he's coming to the end of his life, and he's writing this book called Proverbs. And he's saying to his son, hey, this is how you should this is how you should function. This is how you should operate. This is how life should go down. But here's Rehoboam, his son, and he has this book. And it's basically just this information that's being communicated to him that's saying, don't act this way, act this way. Don't act this way, don't act, act this way. But does he take it? And so it says in, in uh, 1 Kings chapter 12, which it tells the story of Rehoboam. And the title of it is Rehoboam's Folly. And so uh, Solomon dies and, and Rehoboam becomes king automatically. And so what takes place is this, is that Solomon had built all kinds of things and he had this forced labor and he had high taxes. It would be like in our city, like if every road was going to be perfect and if, you know, the you know, waterfront park had these incredible gardens and waterfalls and things of that nature, like it, it, I mean, the taxes would increase immensely. And for Solomon, this was the same thing that he did. He increased taxes and he had forced labor. And so he did some beautiful things and he was very wise, but people were really having difficulty underneath him. And so what happens is this, is that they come to Rehoboam, these people, the people of Israel that are being led by him, and they say, your father, First uh, Kings chapter 12, verse 4, it says, your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. He said to them, Rehoboam says back to them, he says, Go away for three days, then come again to me, so the people go away. And so what uh, Rehoboam is doing, he's doing something very good, is that somebody comes to him and says, listen, your father was really heavy with the taxes and with the labor, and so we want to ask you to lighten our load a little bit. And so he does something very wise, and he says, listen, give me three days, let me think about this, let me talk to my advisors, and we will We'll come back together. And so this is what happens. He says uh, in verse 6, Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon his father while he was uh, still alive and saying, How do you advise me to answer these people? And so he's doing something else good. He's saying, I'm going to bring older people around me and I'm going to bring this wisdom around me and I'm going to listen to them. And so everything looks like it's going to go well. And it says in verse 7, And they said to him, if you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. So they come back to him and say, listen, you're a new king. You ought to kind of lighten the load and just and honor them in this. And then as a result, what's going to take place is that they're going to follow you forever. You will have fans throughout Israel and the 12 tribes, and it's going to be so great. But this is very momentous, verse 8. But he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who, uh, the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. So here's the problem. He's getting good counsel. But instead of listening to people who are outside of his circle, outside of his stream of thought, he goes back to his buddies and he says, what do you say? What do you think? What do you think I should do? 
And here's the problem with us. We do the same thing. Our family of origin causes us to make decisions. Our friends around us, someone's Facebook post, things that sound good, um, seem good, and so we act on those things. But that's what this guy does as well, and he abandons these people, and so what happens? And he, and he said to them, what do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, lighten the yoke that your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, thus uh, shall you speak to this people who said to you, your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus shall you say to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. Wow, that's awkward, right? I mean, like this, that's just kind of weird, right? Okay, all right, yeah, that's weird. What, what do you mean by that? What is that, what's that? What's that mean? And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. And you can imagine how they responded to that. Uh, king, we're out. So there's 12 tribes in, the, in Israel. He's king for three days. For three days. He, the book of Proverbs was written to him. All right? You've got the book. Your dad is the wisest dude in the world. He's the richest king. He has everything. He's handed it to you on a silver platter and you are dumb enough to thwart the wisdom of the men who advised him, the wisest man in the world, and decide to go against him. And as a result, what takes place? He loses the kingdom in three days, keeps one tribe, the rest of the, the tribes go away. Just a disaster. Absolute disaster. And if you were to look at this again with me, he says in, in, uh, back in Proverbs, chapter 1, verse 8, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland to your head and pendants for your neck. And here's the issue, is that some of you refuse to listen. Some of us and all of us on some level just refuse to listen. You can hear wisdom. Someone can tell you something wise, and you will not listen. Men are famous for this in their marriages. They will not hear their wives. They will not hear what they have to say. And as a result, what takes place is that my decisions keep taking place, and and they are turning my life in a direction that I do not want it to go. You do not want it to go there. When you get to divorce, you will look back over your life and you will say, I made a decision right here to make work a priority or to make other women or other men my priority. I made a decision here to devalue the thing, these things in my life and to value these things. You will look back over your life and I want to tell you this, that this book of wisdom from God 
is given to us for a reason. And it's because of this, because God is the one who created the world. He is the one who created this world that we live in. And when you participate with his design, what takes place is this, is that you get wisdom. You get wisdom. Now, why do we need wisdom? Let me take a look at this with you. He says uh, in verse 2, to know wisdom and, to, and instruction. So he says, he says, listen, you need to know these things. You need to know these things to know this wisdom and instruction, to, to know it. And then secondly, he says, to understand words of insight. So it's not just that I need to know what's wise, but it's that I need to understand the wisdom that I'm getting. I mean, how many of us have known, like, if I do this, then this is going to happen, but we still do this. We still do that thing that, we, that causes great discomfort in our world and in our life. I'm going to rack up credit card debt. I know that I'm going to regret this later because I'm going to have to pay it off. I know that I'm going to have to do this, I, but I, I've got to have this clothing or I've got to have this stuff. And so credit card debt is racking up and racking up. I know that if I do this, but here's the thing. It's not just to know this, but it's to understand words of insight, to understand what the differences are, that word actually means insight, to know the difference between this or that. And isn't that our problem, is that we don't understand, what should I do this or should I do that? Like, what's the right decision to make in these situations? And then he says, to receive instruction in wise dealing. It's, this book is, is, is given to us so that we can understand what does it look like to deal wisely in business, we're in our relationships. I remember in, in my life, like, I constantly, someone would offend me, and I, because of my upbringing, because of my experiences, I felt like I had been pushed around, and so as a result, I said, no one is going to take advantage of me again, and I'm going to, they hit me, I'm going to hit them harder. So I would think that somebody had just hit me with an insult, or I'd think that they had hit me with something, and I would just come back and just, bam, with words. And it, oh yeah, cuss that person out or walk away from that relationship. And I wounded people. But Proverbs says, a fool shows his annoyance at once. And after I'd gone through some relation, re relational breakdown like that, I realized I'm a fool because I didn't hear what their intent was. I'm a fool because I didn't hear what they, what they were really trying to say. Or I'm a fool because of what took place in this situation is that what, what happened was that they were kind of foolish and they said this and I would have looked like the person who was more mature had I just shut my mouth. It's not just to know wisdom and, and, and instruction. It's not just to understand. It's to, to receive these things, to understand and how to deal with different situations in righteousness. So there's a moral aspect. There's a justice aspect. And then there's an equity aspect. There's a fairness to the person that understands Proverbs. They know how to treat people fairly. They know how to deal fairly with people in business. And how many times do we not do that well with those things. 
We say, you know, I'm, 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 I'm going to live however I want because it's all about me and it's all about what I get. So sometimes that leads us to deal unfairly with people. Proverbs says that it's going to help us deal fairly with the people around us. And then it says this, to give prudence, which is practical wisdom, to the simple. So Proverbs talks about two different people, the simple and the fool. The simple is the person, particularly a youthful person, someone who's younger. The simple is somebody who will listen to anybody. This is Facebook culture. They'll, they'll, they'll listen to anybody. Their friends around them, they'll ask people at work, and they'll give no regard to, is this right? They'll just say, okay, I'm, I'm going to hear, I'm going to receive whatever people have for me, and, and I'll just take it in. I'll take it into my life. But that's being simple. That's being somebody who just believes things too easily. You believe the person who says, oh, I've got a special business deal for you. You really should invest in what I have going on in Nigeria. And you go, oh, that sounds like a great investment, right? But it's not that silly really all the time, is it? It's, you know what, this person did this to me. And I'm really frustrated by that. You know what, man, you shouldn't take that stuff. Tell them, give them a piece of your mind. Tell them off. And you know what? The responses that we give continually give us the results according to how we speak. When, when we are giving these responses that we've always given and yet we expect different results, this is absolute foolishness. This is foolishness. So the simple person is somebody who just easily believes. They just hear things and they say, okay, I, yes, I want to do what you have to say. They care too much about what people think. But then he's talking about the fool. He, he says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the fool is somebody who really doesn't care enough about what other people think. He's somebody, and she is somebody, who just goes along in life and just does, takes whatever there is and just says, forget it. Whatever, whatever wisdom there is, forget it. Somebody wise will come to them and just say, hey, listen, I saw this happening in your life, and I, and I want to encourage you, if you keep going down this road, bad things are going to happen, and as a result, they don't care, they don't listen, they just keep going. And in the end, it says in, in Proverbs that that path leads to destruction. So some of us are in here, and we just don't have wisdom because we're just not old enough yet. And so we're receiving whatever there is, whatever comes to us. And some of us are older, and, and we're set in our ways. And as a result, we think, you know what? I've been around the block. I know how this goes. Proverbs says this, that a wise man listens to understanding. A wise man listens to understanding. Are you going to be somebody who listens to wisdom and to understanding? Are you going to be somebody who hears? Or are you going to be somebody who says, forget it, I just want to live life the way that I want to? Here's the thing, verse 7 again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning 
of knowledge. Why is it the beginning of knowledge? Why, why does it have to begin there? Because of this, there's two kinds of fear. There's good fear and there's bad fear. The bad fear is this, is like, I, I've, I've got to stay away from that person because they're going to hurt me. Or I, I, I don't really, you're walking on eggshells around them. It's a boss who's just going to blow up at anything. When you read that verse, you could say, oh, fearing this God, I mean, why would I want to do that? Why is that the beginning of knowledge? In fact, Bertrand Russell says, to conquer fear is the beginning of wisdom. But he doesn't understand the fear that's being talked about right here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. And why is it that way? Because there's a good kind of fear. There's a good kind of fear. There's a good kind of fear that comes from somebody that you respect, somebody that you respect deeply. It's somebody that you, that you look up to. I think of people that I have looked up to who are uh, pastors and who I've met, and just how absolutely almost kind of scared I was to even talk to them. I remember talking to a guy named John Piper after this uh, thing he spoke at, and I walked up to him, and I was just like, nah, 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 nah. I mean, it's just, I just couldn't bring the words up because I just, I was, uh, and at the end I was just like, I like your teaching, <laughs> you know, I like, I, I mean, have you ever had somebody that you've, that you have really respected and you just go, what would I say to them? Like, how would I say it? Like, I mean, what, I mean, and then you, you start thinking of like all of the things that you just, you just want to say, um, like if they've helped you at all with their teaching or with their writing or the way that they live, or if you've really enjoyed the show that they've been on, or something like that, and you, do, and you just want to tell them like all of the great things, like that's a good fear. It's a healthy fear. But you know what? There's so much misinformation about this God. There's so much misinformation about him. Is he good or is he bad? So many people say, I don't like the idea of wrath and consequences and morality. I want to do what I want to do. I don't like the idea of this, I, that he would send me to hell if I don't do what he wants me to do. And so I'm not going to fear anybody. I'm going with Bertrand Russell. To conquer fear is the beginning of wisdom. That's what you might say. But here's the thing. What you have to ask is this. Like, okay, how do I know? How can I know for sure that this is wisdom and that this is a God that I should have a positive fear, a healthy fear for. It's because of this. Let me talk about my kids for a second. I would do anything. I would do anything to save my kids. I would do anything. My oldest son's birthday was yesterday, and we bought him a scooter. And as a parent, I worry, and I've been, this has been happening to me more and more. And so I was going to sleep with visions of him getting out of control on this crazy scooter we got him. That kind of, you like, do this. And uh, I know you didn't think I'd dance for you, but I'm doing it, all right? Uh, you go like this, and it, you know, whatever. I started writing it recently, and I'm like, I, this is really 
kind of out of control, and I just, I, I, was, I was trying to go to sleep, and I was just imagining this, him crashing into, you know, something or someone or being hit because he was out of control, and I was just like, God, what's up with this, this fear that I have of him dying, like, right before I go to sleep, and I'm just, I, I mean, I just, I would do anything to save him from that situation. I would do anything to save him from that. How how do you know that I, that I love my son? Because I would do anything for him. I would take his place. I'd ride that silly scooter and look dumb and then die. How do you know that you should have a positive, a healthy fear for this God? Because he did take your place. Because he did take your place. Because he went to the cross knowing this, that in spite of the fact that he loves you so much that he was willing to die for you, that yet you would still violate his laws, you would still violate his rules, and yet he loves you this much. He loves you this much on the cross. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. When you come to a place where you say, I have a healthy fear of this God and I can't believe that he would do that for me, what takes place is this, is like, what can I do for him? What, how can I serve him? How can I love him? And then he gives me wisdom and I, and I listen and I say, yes, it's true. I will listen to you. I will hear what you have to say. I want to do whatever it takes because of what you've done for me. It's a healthy fear. Do you have a healthy fear of this God? I can tell you this, that our world operates on this wisdom. You can learn from it, but the greatest point for you to learn from is what he did for you on the cross. The greatest point that you can learn from is what he's done for you on the cross and receiving that by faith, trusting that him doing that for you was saving you from the road to destruction. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I want to pray for our folks here this morning. Lord, I want to pray for uh, the wisdom and the understanding that you're going to give us through your word. Lord, I pray that for those of us who are not yet believing or, or who are in that place, Lord, that, that we may be able to stick around and to hear more about who you are, to understand what you've done. And Lord, as a result, see our lives change as we implement the truth that you have created in this world. And so, Lord, we ask you for this. We pray that you uh, do incredible things in our lives. And Lord, I pray that as we're going through this and as we read uh, Proverbs privately, that, Lord, that each of us would find individual sayings, individual words that mean something to us and apply them to our lives. Not just because it's maybe morally right, but because life works best when we see what you've done for us. Life works best when we understand that the creator of the universe, the designer of this world and the way that it operates that you have dictated that this is how things should work. And so, Lord, I pray that we would follow that, that we would listen to that, that we'd hear that, and, Lord, perhaps come to know you as a result. 
Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.